Alright, I guess we'll go ahead and get started here. Um, we'll begin with the word of prayer. So, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, because without you we are not able to please you, mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So, um, <clears throat> before we get started, I, I do want to make a point that um, I am back to doing matins every morning, so anybody who's free to come to matins at 9.30, I'm, I'm doing my best to get here right at 9.30 or a little before, so you can just rush in here and get started. But, um, you know, with a newborn, it's a little tough, but I'm trying to make it that thing where I get in at 9.30. So if you're here, or if you want to come to 9.30, Matins, for a while there, I don't, I don't, you know, the attendance dropped off. And I'm not sure if that was because of Corona, or if that was because people heard that I was recording them for the podcast, and they didn't want to be on that recording. Uh, but I'm not recording them anymore. This is too much of a hassle. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's not something that I'm going to keep doing for matins. Um, but so if you're worried, if you're worried about coming to matins and being recorded and putting on the internet for everyone to hear your, your beautiful voice, you know, and you wanted to be humble and not come because, you know, you wanted to save that for Sunday or something. Uh, don't worry about it. Feel free to come on, uh, Monday through Thursday for matins and, uh, you know, if you're still not comfortable with singing it, we'll speak the, the parts that are sung. So. Just wanted to throw that disclaimer out there, because I miss having people from Athens. It'd be nice to have people show up. Um, with that, uh, let's dive in with a quick, or I'll try to keep it quick, I'll, I'll keep an eye on the clock, a quick recap of Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, which uh, I'll read real quick for review's sake where the author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the, the, the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what did we talk about last time with these two verses? Um, and especially in, contact, in context with what came before in chapter 11. There's kind of a shift here, right? What kind of shift is, is there in chapter 12 now? Well, what do we talk about in chapter 11, generally? By faith, by faith. Yeah, by faith, so-and-so did such-and-such, right? By faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all the saints of old. And then we see at the end of chapter 11 there, What more shall I say, for time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, right? Through all these saints... There's so much to be said. 
Uh, yet, even looking at them, it's not enough. Because looking at them, we only see types and shadows of what was to come and be fulfilled in Christ. But since we are surrounded by, a great, by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is, the people who show us their faith by not just what they said, but what they did in their lives, how they suffered, right, and how they persevered through the suffering because they held fast to the promises of God. Um, we are surrounded by this great cloud of, of witnesses. Um, let us also, just like they did, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to them or looking to somebody else, looking to... Looking to who? Christ. Jesus, yeah. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Right? So, all the while, we talked last time about how uh, we have a lot of witnesses that have come before us in the Old Testament. And even as Christians, we can look back on Old Testament saints, or sorry, on New Testament saints as well. Uh, that's why traditionally in the church year we have the... Uh, days of commemoration or the feast days, right? Um, in in the Lutheran Church, we 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 still commemorate certain saints of the Old Testament and the New Testament, but we make a distinction. I don't know if it's more of a recent thing, um, but there are certain days where, if you look on the church calendar on the church year, you'll see. Um, Certain days are ascribed to different saints. And if you look in your hymnal, or in, uh, even in the uh, Lutheran Study Bible, it has uh, the feast days on the calendars. And um, we have reserved, I think, and I don't know if it was out of some sort of compromise or something, but certain days are only commemorations. So we only have commemorations for Old Testament saints like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Old, Saint, Old Testament saints like that. But then we have feast days for the apostles, for Mary, um, for the New Testament saints, we have feast days. I don't know why they decided to cut it off at the Old Testament, the New Testament, only have feast days for those saints. But um, it's kind of interesting uh, that even today we commemorate these saints <clears throat> not because they were so great within themselves and by themselves, but because of who they were in Christ, that by faith they held fast to God's promises and were strengthened by the Holy Spirit um, in the same way that we talked about or that, that you heard me preach on Sunday, you know, walking in the Spirit that uh, they were given this great faith, and throughout their lives, they showed their faith by, um, by walking in the Spirit, by resisting the desires of the flesh, and by teaching others the faith through, through their words and through their actions. And we look to them, and when we look to them, we are not like 
Roman Catholics who pray saying, you know, St. Mary, pray for us because your merit can be used for my good as well. But they're the ones saying, no, 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 we're already praying for you. But do as we are doing, which is looking to Jesus. Look to him, pray to him, ask for his guidance and his strength because he is the founder and perfecter of your faith, right? Um, and he is the one who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we talked, I think I touched on it a little bit last time, that Jesus um, was not completely passive in his um, going to the cross, right? That he told Pilate, he said, you don't do anything without my authority, right? Um, that whatever authority has been given to you has been given by my Father, the one who has sent me. So you don't do anything of your own accord. This is God's will that is happening to me. And he was in line with the will of the Father because he and the Father are one, right? Um, so we see here that he was passive in receiving all of the scorn, all of the shame that was due for us, he took upon himself. But in this, he actively went to the cross. He actively resisted engaging the legion of the, the angels to deliver him from the shame that he was feeling, but he endured it. He actively endured it for our sake, right? And because of that, he is the martyr of martyrs, right? He is the penultimate. He, he, no, sorry, not the penultimate. He is the ultimate martyr for the faith. And in that way, he gives us the endurance that is needed to run the race of faith. That though we may stumble and fall out of our own um, weakness in the flesh, his strength picks us up so we can persevere and carry on, pursuing the end goal, right? Um, so, any, any questions? Is, is, is this helpful uh, in seeing this as far as what it means to be a Christian? Um, what does this make y'all think about? I, I, this for me helps a lot because I, 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 uh, I'm doing my best right now to get a little back in shape. And so I'm going on runs in the mornings. And so this makes me think like, you know, you get just getting started is really hard in a run. Um, but then once you get started, the endurance, like you, you kind of build momentum. But then when you're towards the end... Think to yourself, oh, I know it's only like a quarter of a mile or, you know, one-eighth of a mile or, you know, one-sixteenth of a mile, but man, I'm done. But just being able to see that end goal is really helpful, and I'm glad I have, you know, the apps and things on my phones to say how far I've gone and what the goal is. And in that way, you can say, this is the end goal, and we're so close, you know. Um, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's like... You can look back on your life and say, you know, even as short or as long as it is, and say, listen, God carried me the whole way. And by his strength, I've run this race. 
it's only a little bit farther. It's only a little bit farther to that end, you know, um, which God has promised. But, you know, I don't, I don't know how many of y'all run still, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, how do y'all think of this? I mean, there's just that idea of endurance, right? That endurance of getting up every day, giving thanks to God, maybe coming to Matins, or going to church on Sunday, receiving God's good gifts so that you can face that week ahead. You know, hopefully you can see it in this way. Um, and remember that our eyes are always on Christ. And where do we learn that our eyes should always be on Christ, um, prim primarily? Where do we learn these things? In the Word, yeah. And coming to church. That's my point, you know. I think, I think um, you're right that private study and personal devotion is essential to the Christian faith. You have to do these things day in and day out. It's good to come to matins. It's good to have your own private time in the morning, at night before you go to bed, reading bits of scripture, you know, there's all kinds of aids for that as far as, you know, from the congregation to prayer, there's parts in the hymnal if you have a hymnal at home, you know, there's selected readings for the day or even just for the morning so you can learn things by, by heart. These, these things are important, but to rely solely on this personal devotion, um, it's really hard. It's really hard to do just that. But it's made even easier by coming to church on Sundays, gathering with all the saints here in the church militant and in the church triumphant in the divine service, right? All the church is gathered in the divine service uh, when you gather around the body and blood of Christ. And... Um, that is where you primarily learn that your eyes should be focused to Jesus. That when you look to the altar, like I, I was listening to, you know, with Lottie, we're, we're playing music all the time for her. And um, on Apple Music or whatever, uh, this is not, this podcast and this Bible study are not endorsed by Apple or anything like that, but this is what I use. I have to say that for the microphone. Um, they have these um, higher things. If y'all have heard of higher things, it's, uh, it's a recognized service organization with the LCMS, and they specifically target youth. And it is, it's to help the youth engage in the treasures and the heritage of the church, which means that if you go to a higher things conference, you have morning chapel and you have noon, noontime chapel, or like chapel before lunch, and then you have chapel at evening. So it's like three times you're going to chapel, and every single time it's awesome because you're gathered in this place where there's a bunch of kids that they're told that we've been told kids don't like that church music stuff. They don't like the organ. They don't like hymns. And yet you see this place filled with hundreds of junior high and high school and college age kids. And they're singing hymns. They're singing 
matins, they're singing vespers, it, they're singing the divine service, and they're, they're volunteering for the choir, they're volunteering for the orchestra, they're, they're, they're doing all these things for worship, and it's wonderful. And I say all that to say that what Higher Things has done is they have put out these CDs of the recordings they've had from their conferences of the congregational singing. And this is a long roundabout way of saying there's a hymn built on the rock, right? Built on the rock, the church will stand. And then, but there's a part there that I really love where it's pointing to like, you know, here, stand, here stands the font before our eyes. Um, oh my gosh, I forget. But like, you know, it's, it's talking about baptism. I forget the exact wording. I don't want to screw it up. But then it says, the altar recalls Christ's sacrifice, right? And so you see all these things in front of you that when you come to church, you see the font through which is the gateway into the kingdom of God. That in the baptism, you are baptized into the death and the resurrection of Christ. And as new creations, we gather at the Lord's table around the altar to receive this body and blood that strengthens our faith and does so, by, does so through the f forgiveness of sins so that we can go forward as renewed creations, new creations in Christ, and go and love our neighbor as Christ first loved us. So that's all to say, you know, that here in these two verses of Hebrews chapter 12, first two verses, there's this whole world of understanding that not only the Old Testament saints, but the New Testament saints and those, our loved ones, our ancestors who have gone before us in the faith, gather with us in this great cloud on Sunday or whenever the divine service is celebrated with the Lord's Supper. They are gathered and they are cheering us on, pointing to Jesus the whole time. It's a wonderful picture, right? Um, any thoughts on this before we move on to the next? I I'd like to get through verse 17 if I can. Um, but I think that's a good recap. Uh, any comments, questions? And keep them kind of quick because we got to keep moving. It's always easier to do most things in a group than it is individually. And you know, to stay home and worship individually for an hour hard. It's hard. Yeah. You come to church, the hour passes when you're in with a group and the formalized service, the hour goes away quick. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, you're you're right that, you know, and, and I think I'm going to be meditating on the epistle text from Sunday for a long time to come because there's so much there about what it means to walk in the spirit. Um, and uh, you know that that word for walk in Galatians chapter five uh, is uh, peripateo, and that is the word that was like used in the sense of you know uh, was it it was the walk was it in Aristotle he had the walking school, and what the walking school was is that he would walk outside with his students. And they would all walk with him. And as they were walking, they would talk. And they would learn. And it was this visual kind of discipleship in a way. And I'm not saying that, you know, 
that Aristotle was a great saint or anything because he wasn't. He was, he was a pagan. He was a heathen. But we get that understanding of what it means to learn. And that's the way that Jesus was too, to a certain degree. That his disciples walked with him. And as they walked with him, they learned. They lived. And so when you're walking with Christ, you're not walking alone. But you're also not walking just you and Jesus. It's you and Jesus and the other believers, the other members of the body of Christ, right? Um, and I think that, you know, if you, have, if you have family devotions in the morning and the evening, it makes it easier to have that set time, to have that set time and um, the other people to hold you accountable. Because by yourself, it's hard. Your flesh is sinful and naturally wants to sleep longer or would rather watch the thing on TV as opposed to turn the TV off and read your Bible. But, you know, that's... Have you ever noticed that, you know, if you're an avid reader, that it's a lot easier to read a novel or something that's very enjoyable rather than read large chunks of Scripture. Sometimes it's kind of hard to just sit and read your Bible. But that's what we're called to do on a personal level. And that's easier to do in a group, in a Bible study, uh, in a family. Um, so if you can find a group, if you can get your family to do family devotions, it makes things a little bit easier. Uh, you get that bit of accountability. And yeah, things go faster. Before you know it, time's, time's flown. Um, so um, good point. All right, let's move on. Uh, chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. We're going to try and get through these verses here. Um, so, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. Let's read that together here. Uh, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of sh sh shedding your blood. And have you, f and have you f forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without Discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. 
For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is, is, is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to, to, to repent, though he sought it with tears. So, stop there, uh, verse 17. Um, let's see here. What? What sort of, um, what stands out to you the most here as far as, um, um, what's the main point of this, of this first part, or I guess it's the whole part here. What's the main point of it all? What's talked about the most? Discipline. discipline. What sort of things do discipline conjure to the mind? Spanking. Spanking, yeah. <laughs> Corporal punishment, you know, punishment, yeah, if you do something wrong, you're, you're taught that it's wrong by some sort of punishment, whether, you know, as a kid, that's either spanking or timeout or, 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 you know, removal of privileges or taking a toy away or something like that. But as adults, what does discipline typically entail? Say that again. Suffering of loved ones or yourself. The suffering of your loved ones or yourself. How, how do you mean? Well, when one of your loved ones is ill, mm -hmm. critically ill or what have you, it probably affects you more than if it were you yourself that was ill. And, you know, the suffering brings discipline, and discipline brings you back to God to mm -hmm. pray for not only them but yourself also to understand and accept what's going on. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I wonder how many people actually think of suffering in that way, though. You know, even Christians. It's, it's, it's tempting in the face of suffering to despair. And that's exactly what Satan wants us to do, is to despair. To think that there is no hope. Um, to think, what's the point of praying? You know, if praying didn't keep this person from suffering or keeping me from suffering, what, what, what good is it, right? So there's that temptation to despair, but it's also, again, like we talked, like, like I preached about on Sunday with Galatians 5, that it's, 
this suffering, this um, affliction, the arousals of the desires of the flesh to either pride or despair or things like that, uh, they're all opportunities for us to turn to God. Um, that in suffering, um, you know, I think there's either the temptation to despair, or sometimes there's the temptation to say, well, I'm not going to complain at all, because to do so would be to show um, unthankfulness or to show that I'm not grateful for what God has given me. But if there's anything that I would, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things that I think that we need to kind of shift our perspective on, and that is what it means to suffer, what it means to ooh, ooh, lament pain and suffering, to go to God crying out, saying, Lord, you have promised these things, and they are not being fulfilled, at least from what I can see. So, Lord, give me the sight to see your promises done in Christ, right? This, this, this understanding that, you know, we can complain to God because if there's anybody that can do anything about it, it's God, right? Don't feel ashamed or don't feel like God won't listen to your prayers because you're complaining about something that even seems petty because he loves to hear, he loves to know that you understand that he's the one who gives you these things, that he's the one who brings about even the suffering that is coming upon you so that you would understand where all good things come from, right? Um, it's kind of a, 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 an interesting thing, and this, is, this text, I've thought about this for a, a while now, and I'm glad we're, we're, we're getting to it because, you know, I, in, my, in my former life, uh, when I was in um, youth ministry and things, you know, uh, I was I was going to be a, I I did I did the unconventional route to trying to become a DCE, right? I don't know if y'all know this story about about how I got. It's on my journey that um, I wanted to be involved in youth ministry. And so what I did was instead, you know, I had already graduated from college, and to become a DCE, the process was that I'd have to do courses and coursework through Concordia in Austin, or Concordia, Texas now. And um, what it was was, um, long story short, I decided I'll just go get a master's degree in youth ministry, and I'll colloquize in, which means that I'll just take these doctrinal exams and things like that to show that I know the doctrine, that I have these skills, I have these this experience and things like that. And all the while, while I was going through this whole process, um, I was involved with the uh, like this group of DCEs in the Houston area. And we would have these little discussions. We would have these little sort of like a DCE winkle or a circuit conference kind of thing. Um, and uh, the guy who was leading the discussion, um, he brought up this passage here where he says, you know, um, uh, that in, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the 
point of, sh of sh shedding your blood? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And you, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he whom he uh, whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And this was a stumbling block for the DCE who was leading the discussion. Because he said, you know, what well, it's just so hard to think of. You know, you think of God as a God of love and a God of, you know, glory and might and power and but he disciplines his sons, you know, and we as baptized children are the sons of God. And so he was having a hard time reconciling this. It, does are y'all having kind of similar, I guess, struggles with this text? Or is he way out of line? <laughs> or is he missing something? There's two yeah. things. You know, you've always heard, uh, I'm doing this for your own good. Mm. And then uh, years ago, you know, I, I had a daughter from a previous marriage, and she came to visit us in Denver, where we lived right there. And I remember getting upset with her, and I was trying to discipline her. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to her, I was probably harsh, I was being a dad. Yeah. And she was crying. And, uh, you know, I told her I was sorry, because she yelled at her, but she says, it's okay, I'm, I, because I know you care. And so, you know, I think God disciplines you because He cares. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, that happens. Yeah. Um, I guess in that is that is the great point that the author of Hebrews is making, right? He is our heavenly Father. That He disciplines us for our own good. Um, and I didn't realize it though, I, I, as uh, I didn't know it at the time because I, I hadn't yet gotten my theological education and things in the seminary, but I was just like, that doesn't sound right. I mean, we're supposed to struggle with scripture, especially, you know, we're supposed to read it, wrestle with the text, try and understand it. But he made a point, and I hope he's resolved it by now. I'm sure he probably has, but, but at, at the time, I think he was really struggling with this idea of what it means for a God of love to discipline. And I think, I think at the time he was married, but he didn't have kids yet. So I think that might, if he has kids now, I can't remember, I haven't kept up with them. But if he has kids now, he probably understands a little bit better about what discipline entails and why discipline's important. But, um, you know, don't worry, I'm not disciplining. Uh, uh, I'm not disciplining Lottie yet. She's not a. She's not to the point where. <laughs> she's only a couple weeks old, you know. Uh, but I'm sure there will be a time where I'm going to have to discipline her. There will be a time. I'm sure there will. Um, I'm sure there will. You know, it's like uh, I, I've, I've said before. It's like you know, people. I 
I love my daughter, uh, but even so, I can tell that she's a little sinner. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, seriously, she's a little tyrant. I love her. I love her to death. But you can tell right now because she's so needy. She needs a lot of things to live. And she doesn't understand yet the difference between right and wrong, of course. So, of course, I can't discipline her for crying. All I can do is try and soothe her and comfort her and take care of her. Um, but there will be a time where I'm sure there's going to be crocodile tears, you know? Um, I'm sure there's going to be a time where she's going to try and manipulate me in some way. Uh, uh, but, but you know, of course. But, but, but the thing is, is that, you know, discipline is important. And there's different ways of doing it. But there's this, uh, 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 you know, I'll, I'll do my best to not be harsh because that's what Scripture calls for fathers to not exasperate their children, right? Um, that discipline is good for children and it's good for us as adults, but still children of God, right? The sons of God. That um, we're never too old to learn new things. And sometimes those lessons come at a terrible price and they come with a lot of pain and suffering. Um, and we have to keep in mind I think it's hard to reconcile this because Christianity nowadays has gotten to a point where it's this uh, dualistic nature of things. And if you all understand what a dualism is, a dualistic nature is that there's good and there's evil. And they're smashing head to head, you know, and somehow, like, it's kind of this yin-yang kind of understand if y'all know about the yin-yang Taoist kind of thing where it's like the circle and the S and there's the white and the black and it's this balance of good and evil and as long as you keep the balance everything will be fine right but we don't believe that as Christians that's a dualistic nature that good and that that the good and the evil are head to head and they're matched in the same way. It's the same thing that I said on Sunday, that in the battle of the spirit and the flesh, we cannot think of it as a stalemate, that the spirit, which is good, is battling against the flesh, and as long as you find that balance between the two of them, you'll be okay. No, it's not true. Perish the thought, the spirit dominates. God rules this world. Nothing happens without his say-so. And that's really hard for us to comprehend because we know God is a God of love. God is a God of uh, goodness. And this is what a lot of people struggle with sometimes when they say, well, bad things happen, so how can God be good? How can a good God allow these bad things to happen? And we say, well, you're not going to like the answer which is, who are you to question God, right? Did you hang the heavens? Did you plant the seas? Did you make all these things to be? And yet you think you can do better? It's a little arrogant to ask these things, but sometimes people need to be knocked to their senses a little bit to say, listen, these things happen for the good of those who believe that God is good. So we can turn to him and say, 
Lord have mercy. There must be something, you know, that I think we, we've, we've, we've lost an understanding that generations of old have had where we'll see these huge catastrophes or something horrible has happened, a disease hits our land. Um, pestilence falls upon our crops. We have a shortage of a harvest or something like that. And there was a tendency for despair, but it was the job of, of the pastors to say, now is the time to repent. This is not punishment for a specific sin, but this is to remind us that we still live in a sinful world and that we have to turn to God for his mercy and for his grace and for his endurance through these afflictions that come our way. Not because, you know, not because, you know, Bob stole a pig or because, you know, so-and-so cheated somebody else out of $5 or something like that, but because we are all sinful and it's a call to repentance, right? That whatever calamity falls upon us, it is for our good and for our discipline because that's the theology of the cross. And thankfully, we as Lutherans understand, hopefully would understand that a little bit better because Luther... Um, has this notorious, uh, well, I don't want to say notorious, but a well-known teaching that he discovered, and, and, and you know, it's the, this distinction between the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. The theology of glory is a theology that says that God is good and gracious Therefore, I can only expect good things from him. Who does that sound like? Joel Sounds like Joel Osteen. <laughs> Sounds like Joyce Meyer. Sounds like Kenneth Copeland. Sounds like Bill, uh, was it, uh, John Hagee. Sounds like all these televangelists out there. Uh, and now I think, what, um, who was it? Um, his last name's Baker. Timmy Baker. Yeah, Timmy Faye and... and uh, Jim, Jim Baker's back on the scene now. Heaven help us, you know. Uh, and yes, I know who Jim Baker is. Uh, <laughs> but you know, because you have to be aware of false teachers. Um, they're all on the scene saying, you know, God wants good for you. So if good things are happening in your life, then you've got enough faith. If you're not having enough faith, bad things are going to happen to you, right? Also, if you send a seed offering of $250, good things will happen to you because you happen to help out my ministry. You know, that's, that's, that's the shtick. Um, this is a theology of glory. A theology that says God is good, so his believers will only receive good. If you receive bad then you're not a child of God. Now let's do an experiment. If, <laughs> if that's true, let's just act like it's true, okay? Let's act like that's true and say, okay, so we'll take your hypothesis that 
Only good things happen to those who believe in God who is good. What does that say about Stephen in Acts? What does that say about Paul? What does that say about Peter? <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? What does that say about St. James? What does that say about all the apostles? How did they die? Not of old age and in bed. They died martyrs' deaths. But how can that be? They believed and adhered to the promises of a good and gracious God. Now let's go even farther. If it's true that only good things and only glorious things, to keep with the theology of glory, if only good and glorious things happen to those who believe in the good and glorious God, what does that say about Jesus? The very Son, the only begotten Son of God, who died for our sins, who was mocked, shamed, spit upon, whipped, beaten, and crushed, and finally nailed to a cross to die the death of a criminal. What does that say about him? Yeah, did he not believe enough? Did he not have enough faith? You can quickly see how ridiculous this theology is when you apply it to Jesus. And that's what this chapter, this part of Hebrews chapter 12, is getting at, that those who have faith, you know, it, it goes back to the whole thing about uh, uh, Job as well. His friends, you know, this, this calamity befell Job, and his friends showed up and said, surely there must be something you did wrong. These are theologians of glory, right? Job's friends were, well, with friends like those who needs enemies, right? Um, in fact, it's kind of funny to say, like, you know, I, I think I went through a, a, a counseling course or something like that, and... and one of the final projects was like, write a, read the book of Job and then write a paper on how his friends didn't do so well in counseling Job, right? And, and one of the things was, it's like, well, they were doing really good when they kept their mouths shut. Um, and, then, and then you see that they quickly say, surely you did something wrong. And surely there's something you need to repent of. And... Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's just, it's the wrong way to go about it. Because Job even says, look at the wicked, they prosper. They sit, and, and last, last night we read in a psalm, I forget which psalm it is off the top of my head, um, but I think it's like Psalm 70 something, 73, 74, where it's like, you know, the wicked are, are fat and sleek. I love that description, you know. They are, they are comfortable. They sit in their lofty towers and say, where is God? And they're, they're fat and sassy and they're comfortable. While the believers um, are suffering, right? 
And again, to go back to our uh, epistle text from Sunday, Galatians 5, you know, um, that believers are more aware of the desires of the flesh, right? They're more aware of these things because we're more engaged in the Word. We're more engaged in the law. We know what the law of God is according to the Ten Commandments, and we can see, oh man, I, I just, I just uh, coveted something, right? Oh my goodness, I just murdered someone with my mind and my thoughts by thinking horrible things about them. Oh my goodness, uh, Lord have mercy. I, I just, you know, uh, I just um, broke the, I'm trying to think of a certain commandment. I just broke the second commandment, right? Um, uh, I just, I just, I did not keep the Sabbath day, even though I was per perfectly capable of it. Lord, have mercy on me. And all these things, I've committed the sin of idolatry because I put something above God. And we as Christians, our consciences should be sharpened. They should be sharpened to a point because we are in the Word, we understand what it means to live according to God's will, and that when we fall because of our weakness, even in the slightest way, we're aware of it. But it's not necessarily cause to despair, but it is cause for us again to turn to God and say, Lord, you're disciplining me. You make me see how imperfect I am, and yet you have grace. And with that grace, turn me to do your will so that I would do better, right? And this is discipline. This is what it means to be a Christian, that um, for discipline, we have to endure. That when we face these trials, when we face these temptations to despair or to pride, you know, like if, if everything's going, that's something I don't think we talk enough about sometimes, is that there's two sides of the road you can fall off on. You can fall off into the sin of despair when you're afflicted, or you can fall off to the side of pride, right? That um, you come to church every Sunday, you come to Bible study, and these are all good things. Good for you. That's good. You receive the sacrament every Sunday, you read your Bible every day, you, um, you pray every morning and every night. You do all these things you're supposed to do. But then slowly and surely, you begin to think that this makes you some sort of super Christian. Or this makes you, uh, you know... Yeah, you start to look at your own works as opposed to the grace of God that enables you to do these things, right? It's a temptation. And that's why Luther says, and, and you know, Luther wasn't right on everything, but there are a lot of good things that he says. There was one thing he said, to, to, fight, to fight against the sin of pride, it's advisable at times to drink a little too much, to sleep a little late, and to eat a little too much every once in a while, you know? Just to, just to remind yourself, just, just to indulge a little bit in these kind of creature, of course you don't get drunk and you don't gorge yourself and you don't sleep all day, 
But he was like, just to kind of give your, give your body a little bit of a rest and also to remind yourself that, yeah, you're not perfect, right? Um, and that, yeah, you, you, um, you know, you're not perfect, that everything that we do in this life is tainted with sin because we're sinners. But that's not a reason to not do anything, to just kind of sit back and say, well, can't do anything about it because I'm a sinner and everything I do has sin attached to it, so there's no way that God can work through that. Uh, that's false, first of all. Um, and it's interesting, though, that... And I didn't, I, I didn't touch on it too much in the sermon on Sunday, but it's interesting that... Um, you know, preparing for that sermon, I read Luther's lectures on Galatians for that part, and he gets into some interesting things where he says, like, um, you know, you have to really tread carefully here because it's, it's kind of hard when you're dealing with sin and temptation and our response to that. He was saying um, that... For those who are in the Spirit, that is, that is baptized children of God, those who are in the Spirit, even the sinful flesh can be used for God's glory. Now that means that even though, even though, let's say, we, you know, um, uh, what is it? I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a good example here of, what, of, of, of how he meant that. But he means that, you know, even, even our sinful flesh, that even though our sinful flesh, let's just say this, has those desires, right? And I'm, I'm trying to keep in mind the little saying that he said, which was, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Right? And the birds are the desires, the sinful thoughts, these things that kind of come to us from time to time, depending on where we are and what we're doing and what we're seeing and what we're hearing and this, that, and the other. These, these thoughts and desires will come, and it's not that we're even deliberately thinking about them. They just come upon us, and we just can't help it to think about these things. But in the moment... Even that sinful thought can be used for God's glory because the Spirit directs us to say, don't give in. Resist that temptation. And it draws us closer and strengthens us in the faith. That is part of discipline, too. It's something to think about. And, and you know, I, um, it's... Something that I don't think that anybody could really get a full comprehension and grasp on no matter how long they thought about it and practiced it and, stuff, and this, that, and the other, you know. Of course, that is to say that, you know, sometimes we act out of, of, it, um, that sometimes we act out of ignorance, Right? that will do something that was like, hey, this is the best thing to do right now because this is really the only thing. Sadly, there, in a sinful world, you have to sometimes choose between the lesser of two evils. And that sometimes we'll go along with something we think is a good idea, and we have every reason to believe that it's a good idea, 
and then we are shown the error of our ways, and that in itself is also the opportunity to turn and to ask for God's grace, to say, Lord, forgive me, I did not know. This, again, is a, is a good example of how I have fallen short, right? And it's all to direct us back to his glory, to his grace, and to his mercy, right? And this isn't always fun. It's hard to say that you're wrong. It's hard to be corrected. But, verse 11 there, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Right? If you're in the wrong, and someone comes to you and says, this is not good. Please stop doing this. Or please know that what you did really hurt me. Right? There may be the temptation to swell up and say, well, who are you? It's like, well, sorry you took it the wrong way. Or to simply say, please forgive me. I, I did not mean for that to happen that way. Right? Whatever it may be. Or, you know, Sometimes we're disciplined for having to call someone out for some sort of sin, right? Uh, for their own good. And in that way, we can face discipline as well. That even though there's the temptation to just say, oh, we'll just let it go. Just let them go. They probably know what they did wrong, right? But they probably know how their stance on this is wrong, right? And I'll go even as far, and maybe I'll, I'll leave it here on a little bit of a bombshell, but, you know, if you know somebody, you know, that now, nowadays in this political climate that we're in, it is, you know, we should aspire to be peaceable among everybody as much as we can be. But if there's somebody that is a close friend, or a relative that believes a certain way or that donates to a certain cause or votes for a certain candidate that is apathetic or even actively engaging in policies and um, uh, you know measures that are blatantly evil in God's eyes, uh, such as abortion, right? Let's just stick to a hard and fast one there. Then, out of love, we ought to seek that person and their reconciliation with God. Because if they hold to that platform and they say, well, it's a woman's right to choose, that I'm not going to do all that I can to prevent or even persuade someone that they shouldn't have an abortion because it's really not that big of a deal in the first place. It's just a clump of cells. It's incumbent upon us to speak out, not in shame, unless it's needed, but out of love to say, hey, listen, this is, do you realize what you're doing? Do you realize that God severely looks down on this and that 
for you to be an advocate for this or to even be apathetic about it is, it's a horrible thing. Please, please just consider this, that, that God considers all life sacred, black, white, brown, whatever, from the womb to the grave. Please don't despise the gift of life. That's not what God has called us to. And in that moment of even calling them out as gently as that, you're probably going to face backlash. Because people don't like, especially nowadays, to be told no. People don't like to be told that they're, that, that they're wrong. No matter how nice you say it. Um, hopefully, you know, you can go forward from here with a little bit of courage to confront people on these things in a gentle way, in a way of understanding. Hopefully, you know, sometimes it needs to go further than that for them to really see the error of their ways. But if you just Keep continuing on to call people to repentance, to call people to an understanding, to call them back, because that's what God desires. He does not desire wrath and condemnation. He desires peace and forgiveness and reconciliation. That is what he's called us to. And if we just sit back and don't engage people on that level, we're avoiding our duty on a certain sense, and we're also avoiding whatever discipline God desires for us so that it would yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it, right? To in, in the face of whatever backlash you may face from speaking out and saying, this is wrong, please stop, consider this. It's not good what you're advocating. Please. That in facing that backlash, you know that you've done the right thing. And you know that God has smiled upon your even attempt at doing so, right? And that he'll strengthen you beyond that in the face of whatever backlash you face. And that even goes for people who, you know, um, once went to church and don't go to church anymore. You know, to say, listen, God desires to be reconciled with you. He wants you to come. He wants you to be at peace. He wants you to understand how much you need him and how much he wants to provide for you. Please, come to church, right? So keep that in mind. We'll stop there. Um, any, any, we'll, we'll save questions and things afterwards because we're out of time here. Uh, sorry, I got a little carried away. Hopefully it was good. Um, we'll, we'll continue on next week. I think, I think that uh, uh, next week I'll touch on the very last part there about um, uh, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. I think that kind of goes along with what I was saying. But we'll finish that off next week and then we'll move on into the next part. We're almost to the end, y'all. We're, we're getting really close to the end of Hebrews. Um, maybe only a couple more weeks three or four more weeks and we'll be done and we'll have to figure out what else we're going to do. Maybe but, by huh? Maybe by, Maybe by Thanksgiving we'll be done, yeah. That's a good goal. That's a good goal. 
Well, with that, let's 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 close, and um, um, whatever questions or comments you might have, we'll we'll we'll, we'll address those afterwards. But let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.